Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting episode of Adventures in DevOps. For this episode, I will be your number one host. Number two, engage. And my number two host here is Will Button. Just Star Trek reference for anyone who didn't get it. <laughs> Permission to explain. <laughs> I, I didn't get it. What, 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 what Star Trek? And today with us, our special guest. I should have asked how to pronounce your name before we got on. I might butcher this. Yishai? Yes. You got it right. Awesome. I got it right. Welcome, you shy. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Before we dive into today's discussion, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you like to do? Sure. Professionally, personally, whatever. Yeah, so uh, yeah, excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm Ishai Biri, hailing from, uh, from Israel. I live uh, near Jerusalem and work in Tel Aviv. I'm the CTO for a startup called Linear B that focuses on helping developers and dev teams improve. I love to solve problems. I've been a programmer most of my life and all of my career. So that's, that's my passion. Awesome. What was your first computer? It was a PC, actually. Okay. But my friends all had this nice. uh, Sinclair Spectrums and the Commodores. Uh-huh. I got the PC. Was it a 286 or uh, an XT? Or do you uh, it was an XT. I remember the, okay. the turbo button, right? You can press the... Yeah. If you want to Why would you fast. not press it? Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> if you're playing a game, <laughs> the game, <laughs> the games did, gets... Huber gets, would just run off the Yeah, edge. the games <laughs> get harder when uh, <laughs> when you're in turbo mode, so you slow it down. I remember writing, writing uh, games with a, a 4-1 to 1,000 loop as my, you know... <laughs> pause things and that is exactly why the turbo button existed right it did not make the <laughs> on my modem uh, go any faster sadly with 1200 baud rates <laughs> tried clicking that button didn't help you know i remember when i upgraded from my 300 to 1200 I, I i like felt panic as this the text just screamed across yeah. my screen this is so fast I was like oh my gosh i need to i need to hold on to something i felt like i was on a roller coaster <laughs> <laughs> It didn't last very long. Anyway, we're not here to talk about baud rates. We're here to talk about pull requests. Is that right? Yes, pull requests. Like, can we can do without them, right? I'm talking to so many dev leaders and, and team leaders, and it seems like everyone's going back to this. And, and I always get a, a very uh, emotional reaction when talking about pull requests. Everyone uses them. Everyone has something that, you know, they feel doesn't really work well or is causing some friction, 
Uh, we know from our data that there's a lot of inefficiencies in the way teams can use pull requests today. And I'm talking about uh, a team in a commercial setting, right? A team in a company getting paid to write software, not the open source, you know, people volunteering across a very distributed and decoupled uh, team. But in the commercial setting, that's where we see our data. And everyone has an opinion, which I love. I think when I, whenever I hit a subject that everyone is passionate about, it's, it means I'm onto something. It means we're hitting some cord or nerve that people care about. So yeah, I'm here to talk about that. Awesome. So I've nailed a few stakes in this debate over the years, but my position has also changed. And let me start by saying this, and I'm curious to hear what, what you think. I use pull requests when I'm working by myself and I review them by myself. Yeah. And some people think this is crazy. and Other people say, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, you know, I think we, we take small micro processes from how we work with others. And sometimes they apply really well to working with oneself. You know, I commit like an autosave. And I'm not doing that so that I have an actual log of all my mistakes and, and errors and false starts when writing my code. It's just a habit. Mm. And I think the, the, the metaphor around pull request saying this is a complete change or piece of change into my code base. It has some meaning. Some people work hard to make that a single commit, right? They squash, they rebase, they, they basically equate pull request with a commit. So when you're looking at your project's history, Every commit was a pull request and represents an entire pull request. But even if you don't do that, you still think about the pull request as a, this is, this has a name. This, this is a set of changes that I just decided to stop and merge back into my code base. And that is the scope that they just reviewed. Or even if it's a self review, that this is the scope I'm taking a step back and, and looking at my painting. Mm-hmm. So I, to me, it's very natural to think about pull requests even as a self. You know, when I'm just working alone in my code base, not everyone is actually doing that, but I really, I think it's a great way to think about, okay, I gave a name to this change and I'm thinking it's, I'm not just documenting the, like a commit message. I'm Mm -hmm. thinking, is this good enough to merge back? And once I merge back, I've like, uh, I no longer tease this apart as a separate thing, right? This is the, the word merge talks about getting this now. This is now a new baseline or a new layer on my trunk. So I need to be right. deliberate about getting that code back into that big pool of you know code lines and now building the next layer. Awesome. So before we hit record, we were talking a little bit about, basically you said that we shouldn't necessarily treat all pull requests as the same. Right. Maybe you want to elaborate on that. What do you, why aren't pull requests all the same? And, and, and what do we do about it once we recognize that they aren't? <laughs> yeah. So maybe if we, if we look at where pull requests come from, and how they have become de facto the common way for dev teams to work together. This, you know, is a method that came from the open source distributed world where people that did not have any strong relationships with each other used to collaborate on large code bases that no one centrally owned. So pull requests as a totally asynchronous way to make some suggestions to change a code base, have someone or a set of people review that over time. And eventually decide that this is good enough to merge, you know, through some back and forth commenting and then code changes, tests, and so on. More and more dev teams in a business setting saw that this was a very viable way to collaborate and have dev teams, you know, large and small, distributed or not, work together to change the code base or revolve it in a repeatable way with quality, with reviews from peers. And they basically copied that method. So fundamentally, 
this is a very legitimate way and a very efficient way for dev and you know distributed dev teams to collaborate. But what happened is that we're getting the good parts of the pull requests, but we're also getting the bad parts. Being that this is both very async, so it it means I have to wait for someone to do this on their time, maybe on their clock, which is different from mine, time zones, etc. Doesn't really give us the opportunity to. Uh, maybe jump on a call together and move this the pull request review to become synchronous, which maybe did not make sense in the open source world, but does make a lot of sense if we happen to sit in you know in adjacent tables or work together. Or at least it it didn't make sense in the open source world when we used twelve hundred baud modems. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and long distance calls, which were expensive, and and also people that have very loose affiliation. Right, no one's getting paid to do this, yeah. and. The motivations and like the time to work on the on review my code. Someone may be doing this on their off time once in a month. So some efficiencies or improvements or choices about how to perform the code review. If you want to apply them, you need to start thinking. Okay, when do I do this? So one extreme would be to say, let's do pair programming. Let's rid, get rid of pull requests altogether. Let's have two people look at every line of code as it's being written. But that's extreme, and we find that, like I said, this is de facto the standard. The dev teams are using this and probably for good reasons. It's not going away. If you look at the future of the state of development or developers, the world is, you know, hungry for more developers and the number of developers will grow rapidly, which means more than half of your team is going to be junior by definition. If, unless you are that, you know, the very lucky few companies that can only hire seniors and staff everyone with seniors, the dev workforce is going to be junior by definition. And you're also going to see a lot of new people on the team, new t- new people to the code base. So leaning on code reviews and peer reviews and other similar gates is a very cost-effective way to keep your quality high and keep a sane process for updating your, your code base. There's a lot of tooling around this. Is a, so it's, this is not going away. I'm, I'm not seeing any future where mainstream development loses pull requests. But what we can think about is, okay, can we align and make some smart choices about which changes to my code base require what kind of treatment. In the you know pull request can be a very short and sweet thing where one person takes a, a quick look and says this looks okay. It could be a very complex thing where three different people need to be involved. They all have to sign off, and there's a bunch of process around it. And today, companies and dev teams have a hard time if they need to decide on a complex decision like which lane or routes does this pull request go to. What is the process to approve this versus the process to approve that? And what I am suggesting and, and, and advocating here is that, yes, we, we start to think about differential treatment, about lanes or routes or give, find any name you like. But the pull request population, the, the body of pull requests is very different in nature. Sometimes this is a small typo you're fixing. Sometimes it's a document you're updating. Sometimes this is a configuration file. Sometimes this is a huge refactor treating them all the same and saying, okay, everything needs to be reviewed by a peer, no matter what, is a very inefficient thing, like uh, way to treat this. Mm-hmm. And if you're able to tease out the specific cases where you can be, you can allow yourself uh, to run a fast lane, maybe skip a, skip uh, reviews for some PRs, given parameters and given some smart inputs about the risk involved, maybe that's a smart choice. If you have some complex requirements but you need to apply them only to 10% of your PRs, then find a way to isolate those 10% and only apply the complex procedure to those 
and let the others run through a faster and, and easier process. So the key here is about being able to differentiate and being able to decide which PR goes to which, like which lane. So Martin Fowler wrote a, a, a post, I don't know, I feel like it was a few months ago, it might have been longer, called on the topic of the concept of ship yep. show ask, which is about basically three options for pull request. I, I'm confident I'm going to ship it. Maybe I'm confident, but I want to I want to run it by somebody just in case there's a better way to do something. That's the show. And then ask is, I'm really not sure about this. This is a part of the code I'm unfamiliar with. I'm going to ask somebody for review before I merge it. But that, that really puts the onus on the developer who's writing the code. Is that the best way in your view? Or, I mean, and, and here's my fear. You know, I work with some juniors and the juniors don't necessarily have the wisdom to make that call yet. Either they're going to ask for everything because they're un, unsure or they're overconfident. And they're going to ship everything and, and break everything. So, <laughs> right. So, so you know, the ship show ask model is a great example. That's one example and a very um, easy one to to think about and understand. I like it because it highlights the ability, uh, the fundamental ability to have different treatment for different PRs. I think that realization is even more important than the actual implementation of your routing system. So, this can be ship show ask, which, like you said, relies on the developer to decide to choose the route. And that has many benefits, like empowering the developers and trusting them to make the right choice. But it has downsides, like maybe they're not able to make that choice. And maybe either they'll make mistakes and the organization, that's going to be a a roadblock to uh, embracing Shipshow Ask for the organization because they need to trust all the developers to make the right choices. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you may, may, may have bad things happen because of bad choice. But as a fundamental example of a differential treatment in a, in a fast lane for PRs, this is a great example. I think dev teams probably want a bit more control than saying the developer needs to decide every time or needs to mm-hmm. be the single place where we decide on the route. And you want to think about applying some rules. Every team may have a, the different rules and also different constraints, external constraints like regulation or compliance requiring some other factors. But if you're looking at information coming from, you know, the PR, the attached tickets, uh, you know, Jira or PM tickets, is this a critical bug or is this a low priority feature? If you're looking at uh, the size of the PR, the number of files, which files are these files that are notorious for bugs? And we, you know, that that information is available if you're if you bother to, to look for that. You can begin to build a rule system and maybe some models that let you make some smart decisions. And mm-hmm. when we started thinking about, you know, we're, we're thinking about this as a move towards continuous merge. If I'm, my goal as a developer is to build value through updates in the code base and the process of getting my code merged is today as a bit broken and long and has hiccups, you know, because of the, the nature of pull requests and async uh, reviews. My desire is to push things faster and to make my code changes reach the the trunk faster and more reliably without sacrificing quality. And my end game is a continuous state of merge. Like just like I'm thinking about continuous integration and continuous delivery, where yeah, you put it there and it gets delivered automatically or optimally through some systems. So like we should be thinking about merge in the same way. It doesn't mean skipping the decision or review, but can we optimize? Optimize first by making the routing decisions like Shipshow Ask or any other model that does this, the right and smart thing for this specific PR. Maybe combine uh, machine learning models to make the smart decisions about risk. Maybe combine rules to decide based on like hard parameters what needs to happen here. 
maybe combined with uh, developer input saying, I feel good about this. I think this can be auto merge. Maybe they, they, they all blend in. So that, that's the first line of optimi- optimizing. Find the right path, the, the optimal path for this PR. And probably the main decisions are around risk, right? Can I skip some steps or can I loosen some of the review requirements because I know enough to hedge my risk from other sides? Hmm. So that's one, you know, one key step. The other key step is for all those PRs that do require some process, some review, some human interaction, can we optimize that interaction? Can we find the right person to review? And that's not just about who's written the previous code lines here. It's about who is available. Who's not on vacation? And I only discovered that two days after assigning the PR. Who's mm-hmm. doesn't who doesn't have a huge review queue that they're you know trying to hit to, to clean up? And I'm going to be PR number eleven on their queue. All of these are examples. So finding the right person, hitting them at the right time when they're not in the zone, busy writing their own feature, which becomes another PR. Very a host of ways to be smarter about that coordination between people, so that I'm optimizing the time even when people are involved. So think about a CI system where it's not just machines, it's machines and humans, right? Run the test first so that reviewer has more context. If the reviewer is not responsive, maybe get another one. That can be mechanized in, in many ways, still giving the right place and, and, and ownership for the humans involved. And also making their lives easier because they're not getting hammered with, what's up with my review? Are you done yet? Mm-hmm. So when I'm thinking about continuous merge, that's the state. Everything is optimal. The right routes, the right lanes and optimized implementation of the back and forth between people. So one of the things I usually push for when I'm consulting with teams or or coaching teams to improve their flow is it's a multi-pronged approach, but it's smaller pull requests. So the the smaller, the better. A single character pull request is perfectly acceptable if it it serves a purpose. And I define small in several ways, not, not in terms of numbers of lines of code, lines changed, number of commits, how much time you spend on it, all these things factor in. The scope, like you shouldn't do a feature, add a feature and do a bug fix in the same pull request. All these things factor into making it a small pull request. But coupled with that is the idea that your number one priority or or priority zero above writing code is reviewing your colleagues' code. Unblock other people first. Now, of course, this still still has the problem of being uh, an asynchronous process, but it's it's less asynchronous. You know, you're not waiting. Ideally, you're not waiting hours for a request or for a review. You're waiting 15 minutes. I I blogged about this recently and, you know, I, I did a little bit of math and, you know, if you have a team of five and on average you make one pull request every 30 minutes and everybody does that, then on average you wait five minutes or seven minutes or something to get your code reviewed. And then that makes for pretty fast cadence. But that's still not quite what you're talking about of even skipping the review in some cases. And, and, and honestly, I think that if, if people do this perfectly, what I'm describing, they're going to very quickly come to the realization that why don't we just get on a call and do this in real time? And what if we call that pair program? Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> but so I... I don't want to derail, but I'm just saying, you know, I think that, I mean, there's a lot to be said, I think, for smaller and more frequent pull requests anyway. But you're taking that a step further or a step to the side or something and saying, let's let's cut out the middleman in some cases, at least. And yes, we can have fast or or big or, or small or whatever pull requests, but some of them can just, we can go straight into production with them. We don't need to do all these extra vetting steps. Is that right? Yeah. So whenever I'm talking about multiple lanes and, and different options to treat PRs, one of the lanes or one of the options Options is typically uh, auto-approve, sometimes even auto-merge. And it's a, an appealing way to implement one of the lanes because our data shows, and we've researched data for you know a vast number of teams and pull requests and committers. Mm-hmm. We've seen anything between 30 and 50% of PRs for organizations 
that get approved with a single LGTM message. And when I'm saying LGTM message, I'm saying either that string for the four characters, or we just looked at the top 10 most frequent messages that did not have any meaning. They're all variations of this LGTM. So if your pull requests are getting approved with a meaningless comment, like I have nothing to say about this except this looks okay, that tells us that teams are implementing some sort of fast lane without calling it that and without being intentional about this. So if you're already doing this and you're already rubber stamping some of your PRs, why don't we, you'll be deliberate about this and make the choice to, to auto-approve a, maybe a smaller set of PRs that you have chosen to do so using rules, using models, um, some intelligence and so on. So that's on, on the fast lane side. Yes, and I think in every dev team, there is a set of PRs typically not very small, that you can completely eliminate from the review cycle and have that automatically go through its way. Obviously, you need the, the underlying guard layers like the right uh, amount of testing, automatic testing, end-to-end, all that needs to happen so you have trust in your ability to deploy something that doesn't break. On the complete other edge, when you mentioned pair programming, yes, some PRs, and, and typically these are more on the more complex and scary side, and especially if you're in a dev team that is not completely distributed and you know across time zones, in some cases the right way, the right thing to do is to jump on a synchronous call. Let's jump on a call and work through this review together because it beats the, the back and forth async ping pong that can take days. So being like knowing when to jump to sync mode is also a lane. It's also a, a smart choice. Maybe sometimes this is a, a bit more developer decision or a reviewer decision, but. In many cases, you can say this is a good candidate to go sync. You want to, uh, you want me to help you coordinate the sync review. So yes, on the uh, like on the far edge, there are PRs, and I think maybe another ten percent of PRs that sync mode is the best way to review them. And then for going all in on sync mode or pair programming or very lightweight pull requests, I think your thirty minute PR and five minute review that's like a nirvana that no one really sees. Our data shows. I, I see it at times, but uh, yeah, our data shows, you know, and I'm talking about dev teams in commercial settings. Pickup times, which is like the time between you created the PR until the review started, average well, about two days. That's an average. You have teams that are able to drive this down to hours, but that's really good. And then you have teams that the average or the PRs are waiting for two, three, four days just to get started with the review. And then there's the back and forth. So it really leans on the way the team communicates, the number of people available to do reviews. Like sometimes there's just one expert, only that expert does reviews. And then they have this huge list of PRs waiting. Also that motivation saying my first priority is to review other people's code. That tends to break. Like it's, it's, it's great in theory, but you know, we developers are in the zone fixing something or writing some feature. If we're lucky if we get 90 minutes a day in the zone. So breaking that to review someone else's code, which is never my first priority, and the, the thing I'm passionate about right now, is very hard. We find that if if the team is able to institute some softer things like, let's get a habit to reviewing, to look at reviews at when we get back from lunch, or when we had a context switch like a meeting, or maybe at the beginning and end of the day, these are great places to look for reviews without... Right. Context see, see, this is why those the two parts I gave are required to go together. One is that you work in small batches of a half an hour or so. And the other is that at the end of every batch, you review someone else's code. If you aren't doing that, if you're the only one doing that, then you end up with five pull requests sitting there. They're all these little micro pull requests sitting there waiting for someone to review after lunch. But if everybody or even just a half of the team starts to do that, 
you can actually get to a pretty fast cadence. I mean, I've, I've seen it where you have three or four devs who are knocking out 20 pull requests a day. And then there's the other, the three new joiners who are still doing four or five day pull requests. So folks, I'm here with JD from Raygun. JD, you guys get like a billion errors a month. Uh, what, what are some of the more interesting errors that you've seen over the years? Oh, that's that's a good question. We certainly deal with a lot of errors. Um, a couple of things uh, come to mind. Um, when we very first launched and we kind of expected, you know, we'd see some people sign up and try it. We actually got one of the uh, top 10 Facebook games. Remember when they were huge? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so they, one of the top 10 Facebook games and it was between us one of the most buggy bits of software I've ever seen. And so it managed to completely blow us off the internet in like our first week of launching. Um, so we, we solved That's that why I couldn't win at poker. <laughs> Those Farmville animals, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there was another uh, another one always sticks in my mind because obviously we, we track JavaScript and just like with mobile era crash reporting, you know, you can't access the end user's browser console to see errors. So you really want to track that and report it. Right. And um, I remember this one customer, and uh, they um, had this really fancy animation on the on the cursor on their website. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, their JavaScript to do that, uh, they deployed a bug with it, which meant that on every single mouse move event of every <laughs> single customer they had would send a uh, an error report to Raygun. Um, so, it, you know, working at Raygun is like dealing with a constant distributed denial of service attack and uh, doing it with style. So so if you want to know what kinds of interesting things are going on that you're not seeing in your app, you ought to check out Raygun. Um, the, they're doing a free trial right now. You can get it at raygun.com. Right. So I think, you know, that's a great steady state to get to. As I said, a lot of the dev teams will always include the juniors and the new joiners. Yeah. And that's what, what, like, there is a way to get closer to continuous merge manually with great discipline, tiny pull requests. Everyone is, you know, knows exactly what they're doing and they're all in the right mindset of clear communication. I know exactly when you're the pull request is waiting for me and I'm really an expert at getting that reviewed quickly and, and moving on. But that's hard to get on like a, at scale. But you know, even for those even if you're not doing automatic approvals and any smart like fast lanes, just the ability to when that micro PR gets up like is created the ability for you to communicate that to the reviewer or to the team and have someone spend 30 seconds reviewing it because it's all displayed like in context as part of the notification, even just the right UX to make this happen really quickly is a quick win in a, in a dramatic one because it makes the difference between getting this reviewed in 30 seconds versus getting this reviewed in 10 minutes. Just because someone had to open another screen and open another tab and scroll something just to see what you're doing. So for those micro PRs, we found that, yes, crafting a smart Slack message to the reviewer, which embeds the actual diff. It's a small enough diff we embedded directly in the Slack mm-hmm. message with a approve button in Slack. Mm-hmm. So now if it's all good, boom, you're done. You know what I would also love is if either GitHub or GitLab or any other, but those are the two big ones. If either they would, then would give you the option to merge a pull request and then get review after the fact. So it like, it doesn't disappear from, from, from visibility. Once you hit merge, if it would go, if, if you have the option at least for, for certain ones to say, this is a, this is a high priority thing. It's, it's a bug fix for a client, but I still want it to be reviewed later. So I'm going to merge it now. So basically the, the show option from Martin Fowler, so I could, I want to merge it, but I want 
it to to not go be out of mind. I want someone to come back later. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week and review it. And if I and if there's something that needs to be improved, let me know about it. Yeah, that that's a great idea. I think as an extension of a flexible model for treating PRs. Yes, maybe the review should happen post merge. Like flip the order, and then what it basically means is that the lifecycle changes for the PR. Right? It's still a lot. It's still something in a list you have to tick off or make a deliberate decision to knock away from the from the list. That's a very small addition, right? There's but, so many pull requests. So many pull requests. I would I would love to say, go ahead and merge this, but then fix this later. Except I know that that list later part will probably never happen. Yeah, so th- that's actually an example where <laughs> fix this later should become a different pull request with a with or a different ticket. So yes, if you're looking at a yeah. perfect integration points, make like create a ticket from that comment into the backlog. I mm-hmm. I don't suggest that creating a ticket on the backlog means it will get fixed, but at least that has persistence. Right. And yes, maybe merge it now and make sure to review this within two, three days. And if there's a real problem in the code base, do the right thing is a very natural addition to the pull request model. And it doesn't really change the model, it's just shifting the order of events a bit. Right. I, mean, I, th- I think part of the problem, w- one reason that pull requests take so long, at least in some cases, is this fear that if we don't get it perfect now, it'll never be revisited. And part of that's justified because we tend to have business and product owners and managers breathing down our necks to, we don't care about the formatting on that thing, or we don't care if it's quite right, or you know maybe your object model isn't quite correct. That's okay, it's working. Let's get the next feature out. So you know there is a, often a lot of pressure to not go back and fix those things. But if you're on a team that, that doesn't have that pressure or you have the discipline to withstand that, I think it would it's great if you can do that to say, yeah, go ahead and get this, continuously merge this, merge this now, and but let's let's clean things up a little bit later. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the this there is this uh, well uh, well based fear of technical debt, and we know that oh, once the code makes it in, it's never gonna be taken care of. And frankly, I think that if your pull request is in a like lively clip of reviews, changes, updates, and, you know, getting there to get merged, I th- I see that as a positive thing. It's okay if the pull request is longer because people are actively fixing it and have comments. And what I don't like is when they need to wait two days between each step in the commenting cycle just because people are busy and you know need to get back to this. That's waste. So if if you're right. Doing a lot of work in the PR and a lot of collaboration, maybe that's a signal for go sync. But I'm not suggesting to do less work in the PR or to have a lighter review. The, whatever you, review you decide is needed, be, eff- be efficient about performing it and about not wasting time in context switches just to get that review through its phases. And some PRs never get that review. They're ne- they don't need it. And all you do is wait for someone to say LGTM. Those are the ones you should be auto-merging, right? If, if all you have to say is LGTM, I can approve it myself. And so, do you have any do you have any practical examples of of this working? Like, have you come up with heuristics or rules or machine learning models that? Yeah. So, so if you look at at the work we've done in NRB around this, we have you know we started and we have uh, offerings out there that focus uh, on the optimization piece first, like optimize the communication between the people involved. This is through a smart Slack bot with or MS Teams bot with uh, notifications about enhancing context. For example, we have a machine machine learning model that will tell me as a reviewer how long I should expect to be reviewing this. So when I get an alert about a, a pull request waiting for me to, be, to get reviewed, it also says estimated review time between two to five minutes or 30 to 45 minutes. 
Hmm. And that really helps me make the right decision. Am I going to do this right now or after, like when I have a bit more time or maybe schedule some time to do this? And we're seeing a, a very, very significant response to that hint. People, the developers and reviewers are using that hint to make the right decision. We're seeing that in our data. Hmm. So that's the first layer, optimizing the communication, the back and forth. This is not just the reviewer. This is also back to the like issuer. Your pull request has, you know, someone's asking asking for changes. Now the ball is back in your hands. Okay, you know, go do the, go do your thing, or your pull request was approved. Now go ahead and merge it. All of these steps in the communication. That's the first layer we've addressed by optimizing that. We're now we've begun to look at at the routing and finding those opportunities for fast lanes. So I mentioned that you know fast approve process where we put the full diff directly in your face and as part of the Slack alert, that is, mm-hmm. is the beginning of an auto approve or a fast approve lane. It's still a human click, but now there's, it's, it's the first time when we've actually decided to do something different for some PRs. So we're leaning towards a rule-based model at this point where the developers owning the repo will have the control to decide what the rules are. So think about a simple rule engine with, with, with inputs that could be as simple as the size of the PR and then smarter building blocks like a risk model that will give you a risk score for the PR based on a variety of factors and features. And that will be an input to your rule model. So that's where we, we apply more, you know, deeper information like you're touching files, which have a very hit, like a recent history of having bugs in them. Yeah. We have your, your Jira information, your Git, you know, history. We know that you've fixed bugs here recently, a lot in this file. And there are hotspots. There are quality hotspots in your code. You're touching one of those. Your PR risk is now higher. Maybe that's where you need to get a stronger review. So intelligence about risk in the PR, that's a crucial factor. Intelligence about reviewers available and optimal for reviewing this PR. And this goes way beyond just code ownership or, you know, who has touched this code base and le- leaks into who, ha- who is in the office or who's working, who has what kind of whip on their hands right now, who's not responsive. Maybe they're, this should move to another person. So think about, uh, some assistant that will, Oh, you're not getting a good response here. Maybe ask another one to, to, to be able to give you a faster response. So. That's where we're, we're, we're heading with our vision for continuous merge. And I think the, you know, the auto approve, the first fast lane would probably be the, the, you know, be the easiest one to, to, to get traction. Because like I said, it's already happening, but it's not getting the name. People are not maybe admitting it, but they're already doing it. So find the way to, to move that to become intentional, documented, maybe subject for a post, post merge review, like you mentioned. These are all great ways to have, I don't know, 20, 30, maybe 40% of my PRs approved automatically or semi-automatically. And that clears up so much time and space, like in breathing room for all those PRs that really need your attention and your content switch and your expert coming into review and all of that. Right now, they're all fighting for the same time and for the same attention and, and everyone's suffering. What is, uh, you, you talk about continuous merge. I'm, I'm curious in your mind, what's the difference between continuous merge and the practice of continuous integration? I don't mean a, a CI server, but you know, the practice of continuous integration as originally described by, I don't remember, was it Kent Beck or Martin Fowler 20 years ago when they described that? What, what's the difference? But like between continuous integration and, and continuous merge, I think 
Yeah. And to be clear, for, for any listeners who might be confused, <laughs> CI is a buzzword these days that means I have a server that runs tests for me. And that's not what I mean. I'm, I mean the I mean the original sense of continuous integration of integrating into your mainline branch at least once per day uh, is, I think, the definition that Martin Fowler uses. Yeah. So I think these, these work in lockstep. Uh, you need to be able to have those underlying mechanisms of automated testing as one of the ways for you to have confidence in being able to integrate back into your main branch. Once you have that baseline, once you have the ability to say, I have a good enough uh, automated way, and hopefully it's also fast, to vet that my code doesn't break in a really bad way, now I have the ability to think about automated merge or approval, differential treatment, because I'm not scared of every code line as as I am without the, that uh, underlying you know, safety net. Continuous, like, and, and because CI has become you know, more and more prevalent, even if only in the, in the notion of having something running my tests for me and building my artifacts for me. Mm-hmm. Now, if you look at a typical developer, at least in the modern team, a typical developer's main task is to get their code merged. From there on, it's okay. That ship has sailed. Some, something will take my, my, the new version of the code and eventually ship it. Maybe it's a, some, another team that cuts a release once every three weeks. But typically a developer has this very visible stopping point where, okay, it's merged. Now I have another process, which typically I'm not an owner of or very partial owner of. That means take this all the way to production. I, I love teams where developers own everything into production and, and beyond and you know wake up at night. So yes, they care about deler- deploying this. But whenever, you know, after the code is merged, now it's of completely different cycle to get it deployed. Even if like, if you're not CD, you're going to have to, you know, manually or semi-manually de- deploy this. This may include some other merges that came in before and after your, your, your decision to merge. And that is a very distinct process from your prior to merge chase. For example, you're not dependent on others as you are before. You, you're no longer chasing an async process to get other people's input just to be able to move on. So either someone else is in charge of cutting the release or you as a developer can get this deployed or it's CD and it, uh, it's deployed once merged. So there's a very visible hump or change of cadence once I merge my code. That's why I'm focusing on continuous merge. That part is still very manual and still very human oriented and it should remain human oriented, but can be optimized in a meaningful way. I think that maybe also like that's also a fundamental difference between CI and, and continuous merge. The the presence of humans is a by design part of the process. It's it, you need to pull in some humans at the right time, get their inputs, repeat that in multiple ways, and that's you need to think about that as part of your pipeline. So think about Jenkins or GitHub Actions with a human action that pulls in the right human, get the inputs, move on. I'm just sitting here kind of with my mind blown. This is. This is super cool. The thing that stands out to me is like Yishai said, you know, it's something we're doing already anyway. Whenever he talked about the LGTM request reviews, it's like, dang, he's calling me out <laughs> because it happens, you know, but it's, it's a valid point. And I think the cool thing that's just really resonating with me here is number one, we're already doing it. So let's just own it and turn that into a process because as developers, we are fairly disciplined. I mean, a lot of us feel like we're not disciplined, but compared to professionals in other trades, I think as a general rule, we are pretty disciplined. And so if we just acknowledge that we're doing this anyway and wrap it with some rules, we get the benefit 
of it because now my a greater percentage of my pull requests just get merged automatically. So I get the benefit of doing the pull request and having it merged and moving on to my next task without having to go and chase people down to do a review or drag my feet on starting another task because I don't want to get in the middle of something and then have to stop and go back to address something that came out of that pull request review. And then there's the final piece of that that's the accountability, knowing that if I fast lane one of my pull requests and it blows up in production because maybe I didn't really think that through, I'm still accountable for resolving whatever whatever issues came out of that. So it's kind of like this full circle thing. I get all the benefits of fast tracking a PR and all the responsibility of fixing the things that go wrong if I don't use it correctly. Yeah. And I think the fast lane is obvious, like an obvious boon for, for this uh, approach. But think also about the, the complex processes. What is my way to institute a more complex and more detailed review for some of the PRs. Yeah. Again, we're stuck with no tooling around this today. Either I do this for everything or I rely on someone to raise their hand and say, hey, this PR needs more reviews. Let's do this. But if I don't have a t- tooling and measurements around this, and I think measurements is key. We're, we all measure our CI pipelines and we know how long our tests are running. How long do we, are we waiting for the next step in the review? So part of thinking about continuous merge, yeah, monitor everything. Know how much time you're spending in each phase and how long you're waiting for though that human and what percent of your PRs got the fast lane uh, approach or the heavy handed approach or got into sync mode. Yeah. Measurement and, and observability is, is a key piece of CM, just like it, you know, it is in CI and CD. So I think those like routing and uh, preferential or, or differential treatment for some PRs is also a great way to power complex. Uh, processes and, and provide rules for, you know, this is my crazy. Yeah, for sure. Cause I've, 10%. I know both as a requester and a reviewer, there's some PRs I've put up where I'm like, Oh no, we're getting on a call and we're talking this one through. There's, there's no LGTM to this one. Yep. Right. Or yeah, the, you've touched this file or this, this, uh, you know, there's some, some, um, signals in yeah. this PR. We need to get a committee. Maybe that's the right thing to do for your team, but. You know, find a way to carve out those PRs and to make that committee a productized thing rather than an ad hoc. Oh, it's written in our handbook, read page 13 that says this is when you call the committee. No one ever does that. Everyone, this becomes like a, right. an ad hoc or a random choice. That's Yeah, because right now it happens via tribal knowledge if it happens at all. So like you mentioned earlier, we're doing it. Yes. Let's just own the fact that we're doing it and make it part of the process so that we're not dependent on tribal knowledge. Yeah. And I would say make it part of the pro- process and make yeah. it as code. Codify the process through rules, through a YAML file, whatever. But, you know, then you also don't get the response. Oh, man, you called, me on, you called the committee on me. Like, no, that's like it's an automated, automated thing. That's the rule. It's not someone else like they made this, made this bad call and now it's costing me another three days. Yeah, that's the system. It's codified. And and we as developers in the repo, we own that code as well, right? That's part of, just like we own GitHub Actions or the CI, we own that process as well. We define the rules, we own the implementation, and we decide what co- what happens. To it's like product. documenting the random security screening at the airport. <laughs> yeah. Right? Codifying it. Yeah, definitely. Everything Absolutely. Code, right? we, all, we all know that already. So instead of tribal knowledge, undocumented, biased, make that code that owns. Now they own the code 
you've shifted left the dev process. That can be our new startup, Tribal Knowledge as a Service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for someone who's listened to the podcast and, and they're kind of like I am just sitting here going, wow, that's, I never thought of it that way. What do you recommend as like the, the gateway to pursuing this further? What's the quick win that they can get? So I, I would start it at take a look at what you're currently doing. You are probably fascinating some PRs through some form of rubber stamping or similar. If you can begin to define just for yourself and even as a tribal knowledge or a piece of paper, is there something I can do differently, but you know, between some of my PRs? I would, I would look for the extremes. Is there some rule that I can say that some of the PRs get a very different treatment, very fast? It doesn't have to be automatic, but maybe there is, yeah, we, we pile them on in, uh, in every hour. Someone takes a look at rubber stamps them. That could be an option or look for those few PRs that really need a very complex yeah. uh, or go going sync, right? Can you find a way to go sync on those heavy PRs? And make that also something that is easy to, to, to decide and, and to detect. Uh, oh, that, that PR is above the size or PRs with more than 10 files. We go sync and make that a habit. That's, these are two things you can, you know, start tomorrow and start understanding your PR distribution and workload. There's obviously tools and, you know, we are, we, we sell tools around the space, but to begin with, I would look at and, and can I start to tease out those inherent lanes that we are already applying and just own them? And then look for tooling, then look for better, you know, improving your communication around PRs. That's where I would start. And like I also mentioned that tip, which I think is really powerful for teams that have never looked at this information before. Beginning to review a PR is a crucial part, like the crucial step. And a lot of the waste of time is in just waiting for it to begin. If you can make it a habit for yourself first and then rest of your team to look for PR reviews and attach them to existing context switches, the beginning of your day, after lunch, or after a meeting. And, you know, just that habit alone will really, you know, that's on the optimization side, slash the pickup time for PRs. Your team will love you for that. And I think that's, you know, a good entry point into just being aware and thinking about, like, what is the PR process? Yeah, that's a great idea. I lo- I, uh, I'm definitely going to apply that because it's, it makes it a deliberate action. And then I think also there's probably a hidden benefit there of it starts priming your brain to go from whatever your previous activity was. Now you're starting to think technically and then you're starting to write code. So it's kind of like, like warming up for the exercise to come. Yeah. And you know, developers hate context switches. I think we all do. They are one of the banes of effectiveness and also of uh, well being. So being deliberate about context switches and bundling them together is a, is a very powerful tip for combining, you know, we have sync mode when we're coding and async response mode when we're reviewing other people's code. So bundling those activities together so that we have less context switches um, and we're more effective around them. Um, yeah, that's something different, definitely right makes on. your day look nicer. Cool. Anything else to cover on this topic? That's a lot to take in. Yeah. yeah, no, I think we've, uh, we've touched a lot. I think we've, uh, we've covered. Yeah. And I think things. everyone has enough information at this point to go and, and start this discovery process, which then just, yeah, just think about what's going on in your PRs. Like is just having that awareness already starts to move a lot of things. Yeah. So this is, this is a great, maybe, you know, maybe in six months we talk again. Uh, I can tell you a bit more about our research and our, you know, nice. products around the space that we're building. Cool. Um, kind good. of acceptance we're seeing for this. Awesome. Well, shall we move into picks? We shall. 
Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. I understand, Will, that you have a pick already. I have a pick ready. And you're going to try I don't know to get if out I... as long as possible so that the, t- the other the two of us can come up with uh, our own picks. <laughs> cool. So I will just uh, drop my accent that I normally use and switch back to my normal redneck accent where I talk really slow. And that should kill some time for y'all. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've been reading Building a Second Brain from Tiago Forte. And I don't think I've picked this on this podcast before, but I was like, okay, cool. Have, but do it again. Have I? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm further into it than the last time I picked it because I first started reading it. And I'm like, okay, cool. Another productivity book. Here we go. And my background in productivity tools is I've got stacks of notebooks in my office that I've written stuff in and I can never find what I wrote in which notebook when I actually need it. And I've tried the digital route. I've used uh, Google Docs, Evernote, Notion, Apple Notes, Obsidian, all of them. And never was successful at that either. And so I started reading this book, Building a Second Brain, and I'm actually accidentally enjoying it because he covers a lot of points and just really got me to rethink about why am I taking something as a note? And then instead of instead of trying to figure out the perfect place for it, just capture the note and move on. And then, you know, during my end of week review, look at that note. And instead of saying, where should I put this note or what is this note about? Say, where am I actually going to use this note and put it in some place so that later, whenever I'm working in that field or on that problem, there are the notes that past will thought future will might find handy at that time. And it's actually seems to be pretty helpful. I've been doing it for about a week now. And I'm actually finding notes that I wrote last week. And it's like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. So there you go. Building a Second Brain by Tiago Forte. Really cool way to organize and synchronize your notes so that future you actually has access to them. Question, does this book require that you already have a first brain or does it work for people like me or the Scarecrow from Wizard of Oz? (laughs) Well, you know, I think the lizard brain counts as a first brain. You know, it doesn't have to be like highly... Highly processing, just if you see a rock falling, you know, there's enough context there to know to step out of the way. That that counts as your first so, brain. So, so if I have fight or flight reflexes, I'm good. You're good. You're golden. Awesome. <laughs> I typically find that note-taking, yeah, I've looked at, you know, all these kinds of uh, digital systems and using paper. Right. It's always a <laughs> Just like my database never. backups. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I write notes. I write... I write to-do lists and I think I've under, like, come to understanding of, uh, you know, from the height of my uh, old age that, yeah, writing things down 
helps in some obscure way, but the hope of reading that and like referencing that, I write on sheets of paper and then after a week or a month, I just like <laughs> a whole bunch and toss them in the garbage because yeah, they're either meaningless or I can't decrypt it. But I, I think that I get some benefit from writing it. It probably imprints itself somewhere in, you know, whatever kind of brain, um, is active at that, at that point. But yeah, I've never been able to reference. Uh, yeah, no, there's a lot of research that shows that just writing something down increases your retention of it because identifying the knowledge and then using the muscles to reproduce it and then seeing what you did by looking at the paper that you wrote on triggers all of these different ties, all these different synapses to it. So you do have better retention from it. I, um, I was, yeah. And I think handwriting wins, wins oh, for sure. over keyboard typing. Although for keyboard sure. typing so, wins for reading it later. Right. <laughs> That's the, this is a lost art, right? We are the, the yeah. dinosaurs. Like, I don't know if my, my kids are going to write a lot. Of for stuff. anyone listening to the podcast, if you hadn't figured it out prior to now, you just got the big clue that we're all old here. <laughs> <laughs> Shall I go? Go for it. So I'm reading a book that I imagine some of our listeners yep. have heard of. It's called Dynamic Reteaming by Heidi... Hellfand, I think I said her name correctly. And it's, it's a, I was reluctant to read it because I've kind of grown up, grown up, whatever. Um, I've, I've been living long enough in the dogma that you should build uh, cross functional teams that are you know, long lasting and you don't want to split your teams up and all this stuff every six months, whatever, because it's harmful and you have this norming, storming, forming, whatever, whatever the, the framework is called, all these, all these things that tell you changing teams is harmful. And and I I do think there's truth to, to that to, to a certain extent of truth anyway. But this book is about reteaming, and I kind of expected to hate it at first, but the the beginning of it is basically points out the obvious fact that our teams change all the time, whether we want them to or not. When somebody when you hire a new person, when somebody re- retires or they get a, a better offer from somewhere else, or or they go on maternity leave or whatever happens, so our teams are changing all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and and changing one person on your team by addition or subtraction is a new team. So the, the book is basically about how do we how we can acknowledge this and make it less painful. And I haven't finished it yet, but uh, how can we use this advantageously? So you know, it talks about things like we know that team change is is painful and, and disruptive, but how can we make it less painful and less disruptive? Which I think is useful, even if we still want to uh, uh, adhere to these ideas that we want long lasting teams. So please, my opinion appeal to the listener is don't be afraid like I was <laughs> to read this book because I think it's practical no matter whether you believe in long lasting teams or not because not no team lasts forever so uh, I recommend the book that's my pick right on yeah I, I love that notion of what you consider a permanent team isn't the dynamic thing it's yeah. changing by definition so be you know including that in the ongoing like in the continuum of the deliberate changing to a team or understanding and adapting to the changes that happen anyway. Yeah, it's very relevant to the conversation we just had about pull requests. Yes. One obvious example uh, shows up very clearly, sorry, in our data. Sometimes pull requests get reviewed by people outside of the team, right? There is a cross-team view. Sometimes it's required, sometimes it happens. That's another input or another element into that continuous work thinking. Not everyone is going to be in the team that is relevant for reviewing this piece of code. Maybe the team that was relevant six months ago is no longer there. Now that area in the code or these kinds of changes need to get reviewed by people that are all over. That is another great example of uh, a, like broad context 
that uh, Im- impacts and affects the process, the, the the pipeline and the process you should apply. Definitely. Yeah. So my my pick is uh, going to be a bit a bit different. I've been thinking a lot about you know the the as developers and and typically senior developers. There's the hero mode where yeah we single handedly go and solve the problem or refactor that thing which everyone was stuck on or whatnot. We all know we all you know we have this maybe uh, attraction to going into hero mode, but then we all also know the and understand the mm-hmm. the problems this brings. Sometimes this is detrimental to the team. In the context of pull request reviews, hero mode is also a problem because it, it it's an unbalanced way to, to drive those code changes. So for everyone that either has a hero on their team or is occasionally becoming a hero themselves or Tempted to go into hero mode. I watched them. Nice. I just watched that a couple weeks ago. And the original one, not the new one. Re- yeah. Remind yourself. Yeah, you can. You watch the original or watch the new, uh, the new drop, and remind yourself of the pros and cons of hero mode. For sure. Excellent. We can't all be Tom Cruise. <laughs> cool. Well. I think it has been a successful episode of Adventures in DevOps, talking a little bit more on the dev side of things this time, but that's good because dev is part of DevOps, as we often seem to forget. Huh. So That's right. Yes. And dev like, merits its own pipeline and think thinking about this. Well, thanks for coming on. I uh, look forward to having you back in about six months to talk about more pull requests. Awesome. Well, right it's a date. Great. Thank until, you. Until next time. being here. Thank you very much. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.